into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world. Alter from death to life. All right, good morning. Good to see you today. Um, thanks for being here. It's Memorial Day, a little rainy, two good reasons to kind of like, I don't know, are we going today? You ever had those moments? I mean, I had it like last Sunday. I go, Tammy, I don't know if I'm going today. I'm going to second service, babe. I'm not going to first. She says, you have to go. You're the pastor. And I go, yeah, you're a good point. All right. So thank you for being here. It tells me one of two things. Either number one, you have a zero social life, don't know what to do with yourself, or you love Jesus. Amen. I'm going to go with the latter. Love Jesus. Amen. All right. So it's good to see you. Good to be you know, in this kind of family time. And Memorial Day is a, is a special day for me. Um, our family kind of reaches back to the 1600s in America, and uh, we have relatives that fought in the American Revolution and almost every, has served in every branch leading up till today. And my dad was buried at uh, Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors. So it's a special day to remember, amen? And remember our heritage and just uh, just take a moment and pause and just thank God for the heritage we have and the sacrifice that's been paid around the world for us. Amen? All right. Well, uh, today I want to talk to you about something very practical. You know, some messages are really highly inspirational. Some kind of move your mind to think a little bit deeper. And then there are those that are just super practical in the fact that they say, I need to put that into my life. So today I'm going to talk to you about the secret place. Not the secret place where you go, but the secret place where God is. And it's identified in Scripture as the secret place, not a secret place. So as we begin to process this today, I want you just to begin to to put a, a picture in your mind of a secret place that has a doorway. And so it has an entrance in, and it's called in Scripture, the secret place. As I was, uh, I had this message on my mind for quite a while, and I wanted to bring it to you, but the, the timing just wasn't right, and I just felt so strong, and there's just confirmation after confirmation that today was the day to bring this message to you. As I was uh, kind of in the final steps of uh, finalizing this message, I, I, I came across this quote from Mark Batterson. Some of you remember him. He, he did the video for us when we first started the church, and talked about what God was doing in the way of prayer. But listen to what he says. Nothing has more potential to change your life like the whisper of God. You ever notice that when someone whispers, you have to lean in a little bit? You ever been someone that's a low talker and you just kind of go, what? And you've got to get in there and listen. You've got to really all your concentration. He goes on to write, nothing will determine your destiny more than your ability to hear his still, small voice. Isn't that good? So what I want to do is I want to give you the way that you can lean in and hear that voice, the way that you can enter into the secret place of God and find all the benefits that are there for you 
waiting for you. I want to begin by talking about God's seven love languages. We don't know what language God speaks. Some would say it's English. Some would say it's German. It depends on where you live, amen? But I want you to know that I believe God has some love languages, and I want to introduce this to you right from the beginning so you begin to understand that when you enter in to the secret place, you're going to hear some of God's love languages. And the first one you're going to hear is a language called desires. Do you know that God designed you for desires? He designed you to want some things and reject other things. And the thing that happens is when a desire comes up inside of you, as long as it's not, let's call it an illegitimate desire, a wrong desire, it was probably prompted there by one of God's love languages, that God wanted something more for you than you looked around and saw was happening in your life. It might have been purpose or value, but something was going on, and God spoke to you through a desire. And he wants those desires to come from him because as they come from him and they attach themselves to you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, what happens is you begin to pursue those with the language of God. Another language of God is what I call doors, open doors and closed doors. We all have had that experience. In fact, the Bible talks about open doors and closed doors. In the book of Revelation, God says, I'm going to put a door before you that's open and no man can close. Do you know that when God puts an open door before you, not only will it be obvious, but secondly, no one can close that door for you. That God has put that in your life as a point of destiny a point of purpose. Now what will happen is you'll, you'll discover that door and you'll get a hur- in a hurry and you'll get ahead of God and you'll try to go through that door too soon. And then it becomes perplexing and confusing. Or you'll try to go through that door in your own method. You'll try to, try to force the hand of God. Just be patient. If God opens a door, God will get you through the door. Amen? So just be patient with God. Another thing that God does is dreams. And dreams are interesting. There's those dreams that we have in the day, and there's those dreams we have at night. And sometimes the dreams we have at the at night, we go, this can't be from God. This has to be from the pizza I had earlier in the evening, amen? It just something's doing. But you see, God works through dreams. And when you have a dream, that's one of those ones where you go, wow, that was unique. That one was set apart. I need to examine that. I need to pray into that. I need to see what God is trying to say to me through that. If you know someone who's particularly good at at understanding and kind of interpreting dreams, bounce that off of a couple of people and then try to learn what God is doing and then start to look ahead and say, God, I, I think this is what I saw in that dream that you gave me because that's one of God's love languages. In fact, God says in the latter days, what I'm going to do is I'm going to specialize in dreams and visions. So that's what God is all about in these last days is specializing in those two areas. Another one is promptings. No, So what will happen is the Spirit of God will prompt you, and that's kind of like get your attention. Hey, do I have your attention? And you'll feel this little movement in your inner man. And you go, wow, that that feels like God's trying to tell me something or show me something in that moment. Don't get in a hurry. Stop in that very moment of prompting and examine it. Ask yourself, what is God saying to me? What is God prompting me to either do or to know or to connect with in my life? Because it's a love language of God, and God wants you to respond to those promptings. 
just like he wants you to respond to his voice in whatever way it comes. Another thing that God does is he, uh, his love language is people. You know, I, I read an article that said that uh, a survey that was done in USA Today, it said 86% of Americans say they're lonely. Now, that seems hard to believe, doesn't it, when you live in a country with 400 million people, that anyone could be lonely. But realize that you can be filled, you can have your, your, your calendar filled with people, with events, with celebrations, and still be lonely. Because there's something inside of you that goes, I just long for something real or something meaningful in my life, a relationship that really is not just surface, but really has some depth to it. And God wants you, wants you to understand that he created people in his image for the purpose of filling, helping to fill that void of loneliness in our life. Too often when we're lonely, we wait for the, by the phone for someone to call and say, Would I just nobody ever calls me. I'm just so lonely. Well, let me give you a little tip. Call them, right? Engage in conversations. Well, I'm shy. We'll get over it. Because you can't, you can't build bridges if you fall back into shyness and quietness and loneliness. You see, you have to take the initiative once in a while. You say, well, I feel awkward. That's okay. Everybody feels awkward from time to time. Amen? But you see, sometimes you just got to push out of that comfort zone that's not so comfortable and so that you can engage with people whom God has put in your life as one of his love languages. And I love the diversity. I mean, every, you know, every once in a while, something like, We'll have like four things that I'm going to call weird things that happen in the church. Okay, you with that? It's just weird things that happen with people in general, right? And I, and I, I have this statement. You've, our staff's probably heard me say it. I just love our bis, big dysfunctional family. I just do. You know, you know, you say, well, how can you call us dysfunctional? Have you ever met a functional family? I mean, if you think about it like, well, you're dysfunctional. Yeah, well, are you functional? Because I don't see any evidence of that in your life, amen? And so you just kind of got to, when you kind of start smiling at the quirkiness and the things that we do and the way that we think, it, life becomes a lot more fun. You begin to see it like from a whole different perspective from, and people. And then there's pain. Pain is one of God's love languages. I've never experienced pain in my life that I didn't pray more. And in praying more, I found more. Now, I might start out my prayers like some of the psalmists. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? You're so far from me. But if I keep praying, you know what? God comes back. You know, sometimes you read the Psalms and, and a Psalm of David, and he says, you know, take care of all my enemies, wipe them out, you know, may all their children grow up ugly. I mean, you know, all those kind of Psalms that you read, right? And But then, by the time he gets to the end of the prayer, what's he saying? Oh, God, don't do that, but just thank you for blessing me. Prayer has a natural ability to work stuff out of you that needs to be out of you to put into you what needs to be in you. And that's part of God's language of pain. And then there's this idea of love. Love. That's a language of God. God is love, amen? He's so much more than love, but he is love. And so love is something that is so powerful that when we exercise it, it really becomes a language all of its own. When you really love somebody and you don't judge them, when you really love somebody and you don't try to one-up them, there's something magical that happens in your life. You know, realize that Jesus said this when they asked what's the great commandment, 
He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you realize that every sin that anyone will commit against you or every sin, any sin that you ever commit in your life is a violation of love? It means I, I don't love God with all my heart, therefore I do this. I don't love my neighbor, therefore I do this. I don't love myself, therefore I do this. And when someone sins against you, it's all of those, it's one of those three things. You say, well, I, I don't like my neighbor. How can I love him? Well, maybe the issue is not your neighbor. Maybe the issue is you. And here's what I mean. Maybe you don't love you enough. That's not narcissism, guys. What that really is is taking a look at your life and saying, I was wonderfully designed and created by Almighty God. He put the stamp of his image on me. I have value whether I feel like I have value or not. And we get so swayed by feelings. We go, I don't feel like God loves me. So? There are times I don't feel like my, life, my wife loves me. Right? She may not. I don't know. But, but you know what I mean? It's that I can't operate by feelings all my life. I have to operate by fact. And the fact is God says, I love you. What do I do with that? He doesn't say, I love you if. He says, I love you. I just love you. I demonstrated my love for you. So what do we need to do? We need to enter in to the language of God. When you feel a prompting and you enter into it, you're entering into his language. When you feel pain and you pursue him, you're entering into his language. When you feel those, those dreams, when you have those dreams in your life and you go in those, and those stirrings in your heart, you enter into the very language of God. Thank God for those moments. Recognize them for what they really are. The other thing that we need to do is realize that time with God, when you spend real time with God, it trains your spirit to hear the voice. Now, I know the voice of my wife. When she speaks, that's my wife. I know that's my wife. If there's a little attitude in that voice, I don't respond as quick. Amen? Now, she wouldn't do that, of course. I'm glad she's watching my live stream here, and so I've got a little bit of time before I get in trouble. Hi, baby. But you think about it, you hear the voice. Well, how did I get to know her voice? I got to hear her voice by relationship, by listening to her and knowing those mannerisms. I know her walk. If I hear somebody walking down the hall, I can pick up my wife every time. I know that little click, you know. I, I hear it, you know. She's never wearing tennis shoes. I don't know. She's just always got heels on of some kind, something that you can fall off of and hurt yourself. But you know those things. Well, God says, I want you to know my voice like that. I want you to know when I speak. I want you to know when I walk with you. I want you to feel. I want you to enter into that because guess what? I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter, and you're special to me. So let's talk a little bit about the secret place. So the secret place is called in Scripture the secret place. It's something we enter into. It's a place over here. Now, you can have a secret place and not be in God's secret place. So I'm going to give you some practical ways to do that. But let me show you, uh, first of all, from Scripture, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. Listen to what Jesus said. When you pray, he says, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in, say it with me, the secret place. God is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you openly. Now watch what happens. It says, when you pray, you may not necessarily enter into the secret place. Isn't that what it says? Because he says, when you go and pray, when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret. So the idea is you're going to pray, but you want to go into the secret place of God. Now watch where the rewards come. If you look at this scripture, when you do that, your Father who sees in secret. So there are things that God sees when you're in here that he doesn't see, meaning that he doesn't take notice of until you get in here. You say, well, doesn't God know all my needs and won't he just supply them? Not necessarily. He wants covenant relationship. He wants you to enter into the secret place with him where you experience all the fullness of who he is. So I'm going to enter into the secret place. It says your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So now let's go back here to uh, let's look at God's place of deliverance, God's place of deliverance. Actually, you know what? Let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 91 and verse 1. Do we have that? I think I skipped over that verse. There it is. Okay, so here's what it says in Psalm. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, keep that scripture up a moment. I'm going to show you something. So here it it calls God the Most High. So this is one of the names for God. We're just going to write it here, the Most High. And then the Almighty is another name for God. All right? So we're seeing here that this secret place, God wants us to understand that his name has to do with his character and his nature, who he is. So what we say about this, we say that God is the most high God. There's no God that compares to him. And he is the almighty God. That is, he is all powerful in his, in, his, in his person, who he is. But now let's go to this God's place of deliverance. Now watch what happens here. In God's place of deliverance, he says, Psalm 91, verse 2, I will say of the Lord. Okay, now watch this. Here's another name for God. Lord, I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in him will I trust. And here's another one named for God. And these are all different Hebrew names for God. He says, when I enter into the secret place, I am surrounded by who he is. Therefore, he is my refuge and my fortress. Whenever you feel like God is a million miles away, God doesn't care, God's not hearing, it's usually because we have not entered into the secret place because the more you spend time in there, guess what? The fortress gets thicker. Just imagine this wall gets thick all the way around like this. Because what happens is your fortress becomes stronger and stronger by the time you spend in the secret place. If you would just start saying, God, I want to enter into the secret place five minutes a day, five minutes a week. I'm saying start somewhere, right? And say, well, how do I get in there? Okay, well, it, it, it is entering into the presence. So what you're going to do is you're going to start to eliminate the distractions during your prayer time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into prayer, and this is something I have to do by myself, all right? This is not something that I do in a group. I enter into the secret place all alone. I don't do this with a spouse. I don't do this in a small group. 
I do this one-on-one with God because I get to say things to God in that space that I don't have the full freedom to say outside of that space or to someone else. I'm entering into the secret place. So when I enter in, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. He is my God, and I will trust in him. Now watch what happens in verse 3 through 6. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So we see here that I have deliverance. That is, problems are going on in my life. How do I get this problem out of my life? i got to enter into the secret place. I've got to go into the presence of God, and I've got to stay there and realize that he is my fortress, he is my refuge, that he is my deliverer, he is delivering me out of from my situation, from the perilous pestilence, and he shall cover you with his feathers. Now, this is a metaphor, so he's, he's not trying to describe exactly what God is. He's saying, like a bird shelters you under his wings, so God shelters you under his wings. And, he sh- and you shall take refuge. So imagine that you're just like a little bird in a nest, and there's this mighty eagle that, that's got you under there, and you're not afraid anymore. You're not exposed to the elements. You're not exposed to the predators. You are under the wings of this mighty eagle that protects you in all situations, and you feel secure. You feel the warmth. You hear the heartbeat. You hear the breath. You're there. You are in the presence of power. You're in a fortress. You're in a refuge. You are protected by God. You are going to be delivered. If something comes up against that mighty eagle, the eagle rises up out of the nest, takes care of the predator, comes back, and restores it. So in those moments when you don't feel his presence, it may be that he's taking care of the predators in your life. He's going after those things that you feared the most. Do not think he ever left you. Oh, he's always with you. You just sometimes don't realize his activity on your behalf. And it says here, you shall not be afraid by the terror by night nor the arrows that fly by the day. Interesting that he brings these two things up in Scripture. Night terrors is a common thing in our society today. So are panic attacks. Both are addressed right here. Notice what it says. You shall not be afraid by the terror by night. Do you know when I was growing up, I never heard anyone have a night terror. When I was growing up, I never heard of anyone who had a panic attack. Now, they probably had them. I just never heard about it. Right? Why? There's something that happens as we get closer to the end of the age. The enemy amplifies, ramps up his attacks on God's people. And he does, he's really using the same kind of techniques that he's always used. It's always a spirit of fear. But remember, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear that we fall back into. See, that's what a panic attack is. I'm just overwhelmed. Now, I was reading uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, her blog, and, you know, she's been here in our church, and she's an expert on the brain, and she said, something very interesting. Panic attacks are the result of overthinking a situation that you can't solve. So let's look at this. There's a spiritual side to it, but there's also a physical side to it. So when you have those moments where you just, your mind starts spinning with your problems, and what's happening is your mind is running so fast it's overwhelmed that your, your, your body literally cannot process what you're doing to it with your mind. Because you're just, i got to solve it. What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. All of a sudden I've got a panic attack. So there's physically something you can do 
in breathing, just breathing. Just a practical side of it. I can just start taking some deep breaths. I can hold breath in as long as I, I can hold it in five seconds, release it five seconds. Hold five, release five. And guess what? Panic attacks can go away because I'm concentrated on breathing and not on all my problems. And night terrors are very similar because what happens in my conscious mind while I'm awake becomes a part of my subconscious mind while I'm asleep. So now what I'm doing is I'm forcing all of those problems I cannot solve into my subconscious mind. My subconscious mind will be dealt with, will deal with it during my sleeping hours. See, this is why the Bible says in Ephesians, a lot of people don't understand this, the Bible says, um, be angry but sin not. And don't let the sun go down in your wrath. You say, well, that's good advice. No, it's more than that. It's good psychology. Because guess what happens? If I go to bed angry, where do all those thoughts go? I haven't dealt with them. They just they get filed away because i got to pull that file out sometime, right? You don't th- you're not getting off just because we're not talking now, right? I'm pulling the file out. I'm going to unleash on you. So be angry. It says, in other words, if you have a righteous anger, something to be angry about, like human trafficking would be something to be angry about, amen, okay? Be angry about that, but don't sin in the process. So most of our fights are not righteous anger at all. It's just we're just selfish, Amen? I just want to make sure we got people here that are real. Never know, all right? Never know. Okay. So, or the arrows that fly by, by, the, by the day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness. Now, notice what this scripture says. It calls it the pestilence that walks. That's Satan. You see, when you read scripture, you have to read it like, oh, this is not like some plague that's coming upon us in the middle of the night. It's got the definite article, the, pestilence, and it's walking. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He walks across the globe looking for someone he may devour. And the darkness here is not the night. The darkness is intrinsic evil. So the enemy walks in evil, in darkness, and he's disrupting your world. Unless you find yourself where? In the secret place, in the fortress and the refuge, surrounded by God himself, you enter into the secret place where God speaks. And it says, nor the destruction that lays waste at noontime. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that people, whenever they want to try to make a decision, they'll go, what's the worst and best case scenario? Have you ever noticed the worst case scenario always has more on the list? Well, this could go wrong, this could go wrong, this could go wrong, and then, then you got one thing that could go right. Why is that? Because we have a natural ability to move toward the negative and toward the things that fail because of our fallen nature. We have to force ourselves out of that and push ourselves into the positive, push ourselves out into what God wants to do. I, I like this saying. I, I, I think it's original with me, but if it's not, I'm going to take credit right now. Amen. But 90% of what you worry about won't happen. 10% will. But with God, you can handle the 10%. You can't handle the 90%. If your mind is prepared for 90% of the bad stuff you think about, it will absolutely devastate you. You're going to have destruction at noondime. You're going to have the pestilence walking in the darkness at you all hours of the day because you got over there and got stuck in that area. You know, I, I fall asleep really easy. Um, it makes my wife mad, but I do. I, I, when I get to bed, and I can stay up all time. I mean, I only sleep about six hours a night, 
but I can stay up. But the minute I get in this position, you know what I'm talking about? I go to sleep. Makes my wife mad. She goes, well, how can you sleep like that? I said, I put my head on that pillow, and I just, I'm gone. I said, why don't you do that? She said, well, I'm thinking about it. I said, well, stop thinking. There's nothing to think about. You've been thinking all day. Give your brain a rest. And I remember, I remember consciously when I stopped thinking at night, when I lay down. I remember I was laying in bed and my mind was spinning about all the stuff I hadn't done or need to do or, or all the problems of life or whatever. And I said, this is silly. I can't do this all, I can't do this 24 hours. I cannot do this, God. I have to, I have, to have the ability with my willpower, God, or your power, somehow we got to stop thinking about all this stuff when I go to bed. All right? And I literally started just when a thought would come to me, I go, I didn't think about that. I'm not thinking about it. I literally, when I lay down, I don't think about anything. I say, you don't think about anything? No, I don't think about anything. You think about me? I don't think so. I don't think I'm thinking about anything. Because I have so conditioned myself to get there. And so what happens is I, now my brain can take a rest, and I enter into deep sleep really, really fast. So much so that if I get in the middle of the night, I'm literally droggy. I mean, I'm going like, whoa, I am in REM sleep number 84, whatever those numbers are. I mean, I'm down, right? When you pray, what do you do? You enter into prayer. People say, well, I, I enter into prayer, and sometimes I fall asleep when I pray. That's okay. I've never got mad at my children when they fell asleep in my arms. Your father will never get angry with you when you fall asleep in his arms. He understands you more than you do. You see, we build our life up from a performance base so much of the time that if we don't perform well in our prayer, we think God is not listening. Do you realize that when you fall asleep in prayer, your spirit is praying and, and the spirit of God is interceding in your hearts with groanings too deep even for words, and he's taking those things to the Father even when you're asleep. Our God, our, uh, the God of Israel, it says he never slumbers, nor does he sleep. You're sleeping, he's not. You don't need sleep when you're God. You won't need sleep when you enter into eternity. Guess what, guys? Just like you're not gonna, he's going to wipe every tear from your eye, you're not going to get sleep. You're not going to be sitting in a 24-hour worship service with all the angels of God going, man, I'm bored. We got anything else going on around here? I'm so tired. I just need to sleep. I'm trying to keep my eyes open because I got the seraphim. They're keeping an eye on me over there. And, and Gabriel, you know, he gave me the nudge one time. No, that's not it. God wants you to enter in. See, when this happens, guess what? The trap that the enemy has for you won't get you because you've entered in. You've entered in. The night won't scare you. Oh, I'm not talking about the physical night. I'm talking about the spiritual night. See, because not, the fear that comes in the night is the fear that comes also in the day. It comes from the same source as the darkness. The arrow won't hit you. When you're in the secret place, the arrow won't hit you. Say, so, well, Pastor, how do I enter into that secret place? You make a decision you want to enter into the secret place. How's that? You know where it says that, where it says, where Jesus says, you know, when you, when you pray, you know, go into your closet and shut the door. Now, remember, there were no closets in the first century. 
He wasn't talking about a physical closet with a little door. You see, the rabbis wore a prayer shawl over their shoulders. When they prayed, they would lift it up over their head. That was called the tent. You know how Paul's called a tent maker? He wasn't making pup tents. He was making prayer shawls. That was called the tent. And the way you shut the door to the prayer shawl or to the prayer closet was you take those things and you put them over your face so no one can see you enter into the secret place with God. No one sees you, knows they hear you, but they don't know who it is. And now your father who sees in secret answers in secret. The answers come when you got the door shut. Isn't that good? And guess what? You're under the covering of God. So around those prayer shawls are, are little knots that are tied, little strings. Have you ever seen a little fringe around the outside of it? And there's 168 knots tied in there representing all the, the promises of God in the Scripture. So you're under the authority of God, in the house of God, in the secret place, submitting yourself to all the commands of God and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I, I submit myself completely to you. And when he starts to speak in quiet, you start to go, really, God? That's what Jesus did when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in the secret place all by himself, by design. All, everybody fell asleep. Remember that? And he said, could you not wake with me one hour? No, they could not. Guess what? God didn't want him awake. This was secret place time for Jesus. He's in there, and in that secret moment, he says, He's struggling in the humanity of who he was. I don't want to go to the cross, but he's struggling there, and he's got that in that, and God's saying, you're going to the cross, and he says, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, God gave him a vision, I believe, a vision of what the resurrection was really going to be like. And then he could say, not my will, but your will be done. Because you know everything that God speaks to you in the secret places for your good, even if it doesn't seem like it, because you enter in. I want you to stand with me. I want to give you a declaration of victory. We're going to repeat this together as your declaration, your personal declaration of victory in your life as you enter into the secret place. So I'm going to ask you to do as I, as I read this, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And uh, this is your declaration. So this is, not, this is not just a religious exercise, guys. This is you saying, I am going to enter into the secret place. I am going to have victory in my life. If you want a copy of this, I posted it on Instagram this morning so you can go there and find it. Screenshot it. Pray it. Use it. But here's how it goes. In the secret place. Okay, let me try this again. Here's how it works. I say it, then you say it. You got it? The three of you got it. Three of you, thank you. You will be... Before the throne of God, no doubt. Okay, in the secret place of the Most High God, I have victory over my enemies. God has surrounded me with his holy angels. His word is my strength, and his spirit is my power. He delivers me from the arrows that fly by day, the darkness is powerless because of the blood of the Lamb. I refuse to fear. Let's say it again a little bit more enthusiasm. I refuse to fear, and I choose power. I live on the promises of God. 
I will serve the king all the days of my life and reap huge rewards for my faithfulness. Amen? You know, sometimes the only thing you can do is sing a hallelujah. 